so I'll just point out the obvious part that we're all probably noticing. Um, it's been a while. And I've missed you. Um, those of you joining us online, we look forward to the day that you're not just online or continue to join us online for as long as you feel comfortable. But I just want to mention a couple of announcements, a couple of things that I think are helpful for the life of our whole church. And I want to just say thank you first um, to all of you. Just thank you. Thank you for the way that we have been gracious for the most part to one another and to our community. Thank you for the way you have expressed love to our church staff and our church board as these have been unprecedented in our lifetime. I've joked that my grandmother's 97, and so there's no one I know that can go back to the Spanish flu or anything comparable. So um, that's as best I can do. But I want to say thank you especially. Um, one of kind of our fears, for lack of better language, and fear might be the right word, is we didn't know what it would look like in terms of, in terms of our church staff. We know our, now Pastor Holly's on maternity leave. She had a baby in the middle of all this, and um, we're praying for her and her family but as someone who kind of looks at our staff, was just nervous, where would we be financially as a church? And so I want to say thank you to you all um, for the way you continue to give. And our church was able to cut some expenses, and you were able to continue to give. And so we were able to, to not go in negative numbers during this season. And so I just want to say a big thank you to you all uh, for the way that we were able as a church to continue to do that. And so that... Um, that was helpful to our church staff and all that we're trying to do. Uh, in fact, someone has come and said, because um, they, as we were talking about, we don't know how long some of this stuff may go, and, and our plans for renovation of the church for the Bridge of the Gap Fund was to continue our next two projects were this room. And they were to re, um, replace the pews and put in carpet, and I had someone come and say, hey, listen, I know that's next. Um, I'll give $10,000 to that, um, but I'd love for that to be matched. Um, I'll give it either way, but I would love for people to match that. So I would like to say today, uh, we do have a $10,000 gift. This room renovation will be somewhere between twenty and 25000 And so if you are willing or able to give to that renovation project, just mark Bridge the Gap and turn it in. Or you can write Sanctuary, whatever you want. But um, we had someone even reach out during these days. So I just want to say thank you for modeling generosity to our church and our community. I've heard numerous stories about the way you have loved others, the way you have modeled generosity, you have served um, it's been a privilege to hear those stories and see them. want to mention, I know it's awkward. You actually have people usher you to seats. We should probably do that all the time, but we did it today. Uh, and then they'll do it even as we leave today. And we have tents set up outside. We'd love for people to stay and hang out. We just know that everything they tell us is not to do it in the building. <laughs> so we'd love for you to stay connected and continue conversation outside after the service. Uh, and then want you to know we're doing everything we can. We've been in conversation with... Um, Doctor was the head of medical research at University of Arizona and some others trying to do the best things we can. And so we're, we're taking as much precaution as we can, but we know there's something powerful that happens when people gather together. And so we're glad you're here today or online. And so both matter. So I want to continue our series today, Spring Training, where we talk about spiritual disciplines, the practices of living them out. We're kind of moving into summer, but we're still talking about spring training, and that's okay. We've got two more weeks of it. We'll survive. But I have a question for you today. How many of you have ever asked this question, or you've heard this question asked, or you have had to answer this question? What did you do today? Right? It's a question almost every parent asks their children, or a spouse asks their spouse, or friends ask their friends, what did you do today? And usually we answer with kind of mundane answers, right? Oh, I cut the grass, I went to work, took a nap, we only hope, right? It's Father's Day, I hope. Um, but, but we do all these things, and we answer with these kind of simple answers. Rarely, though, 
do we say things like this? Oh, what did you do today? I worshipped. They kind of look at you kind of funny. You did what? It's not Sunday. Or, or then we'd ask the question, or we'd never hear these answers, right? What did you do today? Ah, I worshipped the God of consumerism. I worshipped the God of gluttony. Right? We don't answer that. I mean, even if it's true, we don't answer that way, right? We just don't do that. But the question, question we have to answer every day is, what do we do today? Because every day what we do is worship. It is. All day. It's crazy how that works. I mean, what, what do we worship is probably a better question for us to answer. What do we worship? What did we do? Why did we do it? And so here's where we are today as we find us saying the reality is this, that we can do almost the same thing we do every single day. But if our heart were to turn just a little or our mind just a hair, then what we do even work in time with our family and friends and that backyard barbecue all become acts of worship or glad are acts of worship. See, today's Father's Day and... Um, I was thinking about how I, growing up, would love to spend time with my dad, especially when it came to playing basketball. My dad, up until about a couple years ago, when he had like a second knee surgery, up until then, he was playing basketball competitively and had games and played in the league and rec league and, and all the time. So as a kid growing up, I always wanted to be with my dad. We spent a ton of time in gyms. In fact, I remember as a kid, like I would, I would sneak into their layup lines before games so I could get some shots up. And then when they would play pickup games, I would do my best to, like, I kept waiting for someone to win because then there was, like, a three-minute window where all the old men had to go get drinks, right, because they're tired. And I could go shoot some shots for about three minutes before they started a new game, and then I had to get out of the way or I'd get run over. So I love to have these experiences of spending time with my dad, right? Here's the reality for me, though. It was especially being good in his presence. Christian worship is learning to be in our Father's presence and spend time there. See, Christian worship is our response to God's divine initiative. It's recognizing we can be in the presence of a Father who loves us. And maybe right now you're asking this question, why does worship even matter? Why does it matter? And Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 12, and you can turn there if you want, but we're going to be on the screen in just a few moments. But in Mark chapter 12, we see this scene kind of unfold. This guy comes to Jesus, and he asks him this question. He says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment? I mean, there were 613 laws in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then the Ten Commandments. And they ask Jesus, Jesus, what is the greatest one of the 613? And Mark is one of the unique Gospels. He doesn't think this question was like hypothetical or this question wasn't to try to trap Jesus. It was like, how do I summarize all this? What, 613 is a lot, right? So how do I understand what God wants from me? Tell me, what does God want? And Jesus summarizes all that 613, those 10 commandments into these words from Mark chapter 12. Here's what he says. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no greater commandment than these. Jesus takes what is the entire Old Testament and he summarizes it in two sentences. It's pretty radical what happens here. He takes all these laws and he summarizes them in two sentences. And he says, here is how we understand this. You could, you could actually take the Ten Commandments and summarize them in what we do with God and what we do with people, because that's really what they are. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. In other words, with all that you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to say this today. See, we can't say we love God without loving our neighbor as ourself. But we can't love our neighbor until we know and respond to God's love. Did you catch that? I'll paraphrase it if it's helpful. If you don't love other people, you can't love God. And you can't love other people until you know and love God. This, this for us is hard. It's why we can sometimes go to church and we can sing words to songs about how we know God's reckless love and so will I do all these things. But we'll leave. And so that's, that in that moment, that has you know, kind of our soul, our, our emotion. And we'll go out and we'll talk about people. And we'll go out and we'll ridicule, ridicule people. We'll talk bad about them. We'll down, talk down them because we don't recognize, oh, my heart had my emotion, but didn't have my heart. Or we'll think our faith is all about our emotions, and so if I can't emotionally create something, then we don't think it's real, when in reality, God says, no, 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 do I have your mind? Do I have your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do you live as if every activity of your life is an act of worship, or do we live as if some parts are? But man, my money, my job, my family, those things are off limits. Those are about me and what I want and my personal preference. And so, frankly, I'm doing what I want. This for us is hard. See, lots of stuff, good stuff, has our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. Right? Jobs are good but they can have too much. Our family is good, but even it can have too much. This is hard for us to understand. God says, listen, if you will rest in my love, if you will know me, Jesus wants us to understand. If you'll know the depth of God's love, God as Father, then everything else will begin to be put in place. But if you're not careful, you'll quickly find that other things take the place of me. And when that happens, our life gets disjointed. It gets messed up, right? See, I, I think we should talk about then what is worship? Worship is not just singing. Sometimes we think, well, it's just, just music or just singing. It's, it's not. But I love this quote when it's talking about worship. It says, forms and rituals do not produce worship, nor does the disuse of forms and rituals. We can use all the right techniques and methods. We can have the best possible liturgy, but we have not worshiped the Lord until spirit touches spirit. Singing, praising, praying, adoration, all great things. Read the Psalms. They're filled with great examples and pictures of worship. But if we're not careful, the way in which we do it, our personal preference drives worship. 
Well, I don't. I don't like that song. I don't like this music. I don't like that paint color in the sanctuary. I like pews, not chairs. I, I mean, I can keep going all day here, by the way, because like, I hear it all. And some of you are like, ooh, that was me. Um, I didn't pick any of you. I'm just going through the stuff I've heard recently. See, our personal preference in regards to worship is not what God desires. He desires our heart, because the question we're left asking is this. What, when we look throughout the New Testament, Jesus is pretty clear that, that there's a freedom in worship. That the form doesn't really matter, right? See, I'd say it this way. The forms are not the worship. They only lead us into the worship. The forms are not what matters. They're helpful. Prayer's helpful. Praising, singing songs, helpful. Look throughout the Psalms. But if it is the end goal, then we've missed the whole reason why we do anything we do. And that's hard for us. Because if we're not careful, we take our personal form and we turn that into something we adored, it becomes an idol for us. And we're going, but I, I wanted this. It was for good reason. And one of the things I love when we go through the scriptures, we look and begin to see that when people gathered, especially in the early church, they gathered in this kind of this idea of holy expectancy. They expected God to do something. So when they gathered as a community of faith, they expected in these moments that God was going to show up and do something that couldn't happen if they didn't gather together. But they did that because they cultivated lives of inward worship, of seeking after God's presence, of living daily in such a way that they were in tune with God's presence. I love these words from Brother Lawrence. He says it this way, I cannot imagine how religious persons can live satisfied without the practice of the presence of God. Do we practice the presence of God? Do I recognize that when I work, when I eat lunch, when I watch whatever I watch on television, that we can either become people who practice the presence of God in these moments, or we can find that those things push out the presence of God. This is what worship is. It's, it's Honestly, it's like not hard, but yet it's super hard. It's learning to be open and letting Jesus be our present day teacher every single day and every single moment, letting him be what drives us. Because honestly, if we're not careful, I know this not because I just read all your social media feeds. I know this because we're all guilty of this. If we're not careful, we're more shaped by social media and the news talk television shows we watch more so than the good news of Jesus. That's idolatry. That's sinfulness. What has our time what has our heart? What is it we worship? If we're not careful, we are worshiping all the wrong things. And yet we'll do it and go, well, I, just a little bit of this or just a little bit of that. God invites us to live this life in which he is central and everything else becomes secondary to that and everything else has its proper place. And then when we live that way, we begin to love our neighbors even better. This is what worship looks like, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. See, i got to be honest with you. Um, this will change the rhythms in our world in which we live if we live this way. It will. Right? I think right now, we're, 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 especially culturally, we can watch news and find ourselves worrying about this or worrying about this. We can find ourselves on one side or the other side. But what if we really just learn to love people in our sphere of influence really, really well? We could change the world. 
that really would change the world if we love people in our sphere of influence. So I wrote this quote weeks ago as I was thinking about just our time absent from one another, and I wrote it for today. It's not on any screen, I just, I just wrote it. I was thinking about us. Our greatest danger in our faith being all alone is not that we may not know Jesus. It's that our faith does not reflect Jesus because we've become isolated in our belief system. One of the hardest things in Christianity is to recognize we are shaped by the community of faith. We are shaped by the scriptures. And we are absent one another. I can begin to go in directions where I'm going, oh, this makes sense. This is right. Only to find out. It may not be. There's a reason why corporate worship, community of faith, gathering together is biblical. And that we're called to do as much as we can. And I know that's weird in these days. Some of you are going like, oh, they're kids and they're distracting. And, and do they bother you? No, they don't bother me at all. Because some of them are mine. Those may be bothering me. No, they don't bother me. Um, but what if, what if every time we gathered for corporate worship, what if every time before you and I came, what if we prayed? What if before I walked in the doors of the church or before I gathered at some event, what if I prayed that God might move? What if I prayed God would do something unique that I expected with a holy expectancy God to show up and move in a ways which I never thought possible. And let me rephrase that. I, I, I don't like when we say God show up. God was already here when we gathered. It's a misspeak on my part. Everybody said, God, help us to become aware of your presence. It's a much better way for us to live. It's the idea of practicing daily presence of God. So what's this worship look like? I think this is helpful for us to think about. Worship is not an occasion, but a way of life. Worship is not an occasion, but a way of life. It is how we live every single day. That for us is important, right? Praise, singing is an avenue of worship. Prayer is an avenue of worship. But they lead us into this idea that the whole thing is wrapped up in more than this. Those are parts of it, but, but in and of themselves, they're not enough. It's way more than that. It's what has our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. See, worship is both head and heart. It is mind and emotion. They go together. It matters. Head and heart, mind and emotion. They're all a part of how we worship. And so I, I love these words from 1 Corinthians 14. Here's what they say. So what shall I do? Well, I'll pray with my spirit. But I'll also pray with my understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. In other words, I'll do these things with my head and my heart. Because both are acts of worship. It's not one or the other. It is both. It is. So some of you are like, well, you know, I just, I'll just sing music and I'm not going to really study anything. Because that's kind of hard. And, and Jesus is going, ah, oh, it's both. Well, I'm just going to study. I don't want to, like, I'm kind of, I don't want to be emotional. That just sounds like a bad idea. Well. It's not enough either. I don't know that I like hearing that, to be honest with you. I, I like the idea that it could just be more head and not so much heart, because that, that I can cognitively back, wrap my mind around. But when you tell me it's both, it messes with me some. So why is it important for us to worship as a response to God? If we don't, our questions sound like this. 
What will meet my need? What am I going to get out of this? Will I like it? Rather, say, what does God call me to? What kind of worship is God asking me to respond in? Those questions matter. Because they're a reflection of our answer of what has my heart and my mind and my soul and my strength. And then when I begin to answer those, then I begin to say, am I loving my neighbor as myself? So we're going to show you just kind of a couple slides. And um, I love these six things or seven things that Richard Foster gives us to talk about what does it look like to, to embrace worship as a way of life. And so here they are. Number one, learn to practice the presence of God daily. In other words, really try to follow Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Number two, have many different experiences of worship. Alone, with a small group, connect group, corporate gatherings, etc. In nature, by myself, it goes on and on. Find multiple ways and avenues for us to make sure we're practicing the presence of God. Number three, find ways to prepare for the gathered experience of worship. I've actually, if you go to the notes for the service on our, our website, there's a whole bunch of things that you could begin to do for that. Number four, having a willingness to be gathered in the power of the Lord. In other words, shift our thinking from less I and more we. Number five, cultivate holy dependency. In other words, nothing great's going to happen if God's not in it. I get that. And so God, we know if we don't sense your presence, then we're just wasting our time. And so we desperately need you to be present in whatever it is we're doing. Number six, absorb distractions with gratitude. Especially when we have kids coloring and moving around. That might be a good thing for us to embrace today. Or maybe when you've got your to-do list and it's long and you're trying to get it all done and someone reaches out and says, hey, can you help me with this? Maybe that's an opportunity for worship, not distraction. Knowing the difference is where God's presence is helpful. Number seven, learn to offer a sacrifice of worship. Do I offer up myself? Or is it still about me? And I know, I know, if you're wrestling with whether you want to follow Jesus or not today, whether you're all in for, or not, I, I get it. For you, that one sounds like a terrible idea. I don't want to sacrifice anything. But if you're all in and you want to say that I want to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and how to love my neighbor as myself, then we may have to sacrifice some things in our life for the sake of what God is doing in the world. And so today, I want to say this, that today's Father's Day. And some of you today have had terrible fathers. And I can't imagine the pain you have felt. Some of you have had great fathers that are absent because they've passed away. Some of you have great fathers and they're still around and you're just thankful for that. Some of you might not even know who your father is. But what Jesus comes to us to say is this, do you want to know who my father is? I'll show you. He's me. When you see me, you see my father. That's what John tells us again and again. And so what Jesus says to us over and over again is, do you want to know what love looks like? It looks like me. And we show you what love looks like. That even if you feel inadequate, 
even if you feel like you're not enough, even if you feel like God has been absent from you in some way, I'll show you that love, love goes to the place of death, even the cross. Place of shame and guilt. And God says, there's no place you can go that's not God forsaken. There's no forsaken place that exists. God goes to the places of forsakenness and says, here, here's what love looks like. It goes to all those places. So if you feel like you're carrying this weight, if you're unworthy, if you feel like the sin in your life has been too great, Jesus says, no. No. Because my father loves you. That's why we sing words to a song that said, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Because everyone matters. There is no one person separate. It doesn't matter to God. So how do we live that out? How do we realize we want to live a life in relationship, in the presence of a father who loves us? I mentioned as a kid, I like to spend time with my dad. We spend a lot of time in the gym. What I've come to realize is that I have a heavenly father who loves me even more than my dad does. And he longs for me to be in his presence every moment of every day not only to be in his presence, but to recognize that presence and then live my life as a reflection of his divine initiative. Live my life as a reflection of his love for me. So worship is learning to respond to a dad who loves us. Worship is whatever has our heart and our mind and our soul and our strength. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. For the way you love us and you invite us to draw near. For the way you continue to come near to us. We thank you for your heart and how it is greater than ours. We thank you on this Father's Day as we celebrate the men in our lives that whether they are fathers or not, you invite men of the church to be mentors and disciplers to cheer others along. So Father, help us to live lives of worship, to practice the response to your divine presence in our everyday life. To recognize worship is not something we do just on Sundays. It doesn't require a building for worship. It is literally what we do throughout the day. So maybe when someone asks us, hey, what'd you do today? Maybe we can actually respond, oh, I worshiped. And so Father, will you help us to become more and more your people who love you, your divine reflection in this world. May you help us to become more and more the people of God. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to leave today, just a couple of quick kind of announcements. One, um, we obviously didn't pass offering plates, and so if you want to give, you can give online, or there's a, um, a box in the back you can give as you leave. also want to mention, we're going to continue to meet each week moving forward. Um, we'll continue to RSVP for a few weeks. Um, we may, um, probably, depending on what numbers look like, July 12th, maybe our first Sunday with two services. Um, we're guessing July 5th. We know many of you. you know, we, we know what you do. Um, you're not here. Um, I'll be here, and I look forward to seeing who can gather. Um, but know that you are loved, and we look forward to us continuing to hang out together. And so we're just going to hang out outside. And so you'll be dismissed as we leave today. May you go in God's grace and peace and love.